Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 25 of the Sin Essential podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. Joining me this week is Aaron Pinkston. Aaron, how are you? I'll be honest. Uh, I'm not going to be in tip-top shape for uh, this review. I, I'll confess, I watched Malcolm X for the first time a few days ago, uh, three days ago, in fact, and since then I've seen about 14 or 15 movies. So <laughs> I might be I might be a little fuzzy on some of the details, but uh, uh, you know, well, maybe maybe not any worse than normal. We'll see. That's fair. Uh, were those 14 or 15 movies uh, combined as long as Malcolm X? Uh, well, yeah, since most of them are over about 24 hours. So. <laughs> and as long as Malcolm X is, uh, it, you know, it could quite compete with that. We were talking about this offline, uh, the three of us, but um, the last film I picked for uh, review on the site was Reds, which uh, I noted clocked in at three hours and 20 minutes. And somehow my next film after that was even longer at three hours and 22 minutes. Uh, Pat Brown, you've been on the line for both of those. Uh, thank you for uh, indulging me. Uh, How are you doing? It's, it's been my pleasure. I'm, I'm good. I, I should be okay to talk about Malcolm X because I just watched it last night, uh, actually for the first time also. Um, and uh, though the beginning of the movie is now so far away that I might have trouble uh, remembering what happened. But That's all of us. <laughs> I think just right about it. I might see it somewhere about But uh, we'll do our best here uh, to get through it and talk about the film and all of its uh, great details. Um, so, uh, but like I mentioned, I chose this film. Um, it's something that uh, I hadn't seen in a really long time. Uh, I remember watching it must have been either in college or shortly after college, uh, right after I'd seen Do the Right Thing for the first time, and I was really into Spike Lee and kind of deep diving into his filmography. And um, I thought it was appropriate to write about it this week because it's the film's 25th anniversary, um, and it's just a super interesting film. I'm really glad that I picked it because I got to watch it again, and it's just, uh, I think, maybe kind of forgotten or just not as uh, as widely uh, praised as Do the Right Thing, and maybe that's why it doesn't have the same profile, but I think it's a really terrific movie. Um, Denzel, uh, you know, I've seen various lists of all the Denzel performances ranked, and most of them seem to have Malcolm X at the top. It's tough to argue with that one. Uh, but I do think, as I alluded to in my uh, opening take, that the film is more than that. Um, it's really an interesting example of what a biopic can do, which we're going to definitely get into. Uh, and I think that it's Spike Lee, you know, uh, being really thoughtful. And, and he's got a lot of movies, and a lot of them are thoughtful. A lot of them are not, I think, that thoughtful. And uh, I appreciate that uh, this was a passion project for him and that he really put it all into it. And I think the results speak for themselves. Um, Aaron, watching this for the first time, did you have a similar take? Yeah, so I, mean, I had some expectations going into watching it for the first time. Um, like you mentioned, it it is kind of uh, surprising that the film isn't really held up in any particular way these days. And honestly, I don't know if it was 
revere it to any high level at the time either. Um, I think it was. I had re- like apparently Roger Ebert like put it on his <laughs> the '90s list. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'm just kind of. I was looking over it. It was only nominated for two Oscars, which was a surprise to me. Um, Denzel Washington, of course. Uh, was nominated, and then it was also nominated for Best Costume, which makes sense, but considering those being the only two uh, awards that it was nominated for Academy Awards, that's fairly interesting. I mean, there were... uh, There was some tough competition that year. That was the year that uh, Unforgiven was uh, basically the the top film. Um, The Crying Game, A Few Good Men, Howard's End, and Scent of a Woman, which... It's definitely not uh, that, ground. Is, uh, <laughs> that is held up. Um, but those were the best picture nominees. I mean, I could have totally seen it in over most of those films. Um, and, of course, this is the year that Al Pacino won for The Scent of a Woman, which I think if people were redoing that, uh, as we do sometimes on the site, I think probably Denzel Washington would have been, uh, the pick for most people, uh, perhaps Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven. Um, but I think it probably would not have been Al Pacino in most people's minds. Uh, and then, you know, we've already talked about it, but, uh, one of my other (laughs) first impressions, was uh, noticing the runtime and <laughs> not expecting it to be three hours and 25 minutes or whatever it is, uh, over really two hours, 200 minutes. <laughs> uh, so I knew that I had to carve out some time to, to really give it uh, its due and, and pay attention to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think your thoughts on how the film holds up are pretty right on. I think your impression of it from your opening statement uh, is pretty right on. Uh, It's not, it's certainly not a perfect film. Uh, There are some stretches that, that drag. Uh, It feels every bit of its three hours and 25 minutes. Um, But there are, it's, it's a lot in small touches, things that uh, Spike Lee brings to the film that really make it resonant and still interesting in, in our current political and, and race relations context. Uh, and especially in one, one thing that I mentioned in my piece that's running this week and something we will certainly talk about a little bit more, but uh, the opening of the film, which shows the footage of, of Rodney King uh, being beaten by the police uh was has been pretty fresh in my mind because of two documentaries that I've seen this year, uh, fairly recently, uh, LA 92 and let it fall, which are both movies about sort of relation relations at the time. And both take the, the Rodney King, uh, incident at the sort of core of those two documentaries and are both very good and you should seek them out if you haven't seen them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was in, this of course came out in 1992, just about a year after the uh, Rodney King incident occurred. So uh, this was definitely something that Spike Lee was fresh in his mind and something, a story that you definitely can tell he really wanted to, uh, to get the opportunity to tell in his way. And I, I think he, he does that. Uh, it's also interesting. I, I didn't 
sort of realized that this was only three years after do the right thing. Um, For some reason, I would have thought there was more of a gap in between that either do the right thing was made earlier or Malcolm X was made later. I'm not sure. Um, But I I didn't really, uh, I didn't really uh, consider uh, that, that these films are definitely sort of uh, linked in, in terms of where they fall in, in Spike Lee's career. Yeah, my impression yeah. Of, of Malcolm X, I thought that it had come out in like 95 or 96 or something. I didn't realize that it was uh, so soon after Do the Right Thing. It was three years later, I guess, and yeah. he'd started production uh, a year earlier. So, I mean, it, I, I, I'm not looking at his filmography, and I don't remember the, in such great detail, but I think there, there must have been something in between. Uh, is Jungle Fever yeah, let me, I'm going to pull that up. Uh, I mean, I think in any case, I mean, Spike Lee was was definitely uh, an independent filmmaker. I, I I think that this might have been his first real kind of studio big, you know, film yeah. that he had made. Yeah, uh, Mo Better Blues and Jungle Fever actually came both in between. But huh. I mean, huh. yeah. together we got it together. Uh, I mean, neither of those films were, you know, those were also both very independent sort of oh. small movies. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big step up. And, and uh, I mean, we've, we've come to know how Spike Lee has done, you know, before or I guess since with, with um, bigger Hollywood productions. I think they are not the more... Uh, the more recognizable of, or, you know, yeah. uh, his That's best work. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and apparently he's actually uh, made a film called Rodney King. <laughs> that is, oh. it says it has a 2017 release um, oh, and people have reviewed it. So I haven't heard anything huh. about it, um, but he apparently made a, a movie called Rodney King about Rodney King. So, um That'll be interesting. I think these days he's generally, like, the sort of critical consensus on him is that his best movies since, you know, Do the Right Thing in general have been his documentaries, is is at least my impression of him. But I really like Inside Man. I think Inside Man is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Well, and I think in certain circles, 25th Hour is definitely held up um, by by people. It's actually a film I've never seen, but... yeah, I know. Like some people consider it like the best, one of the best movies of the two thousands. So um, quite that high, but it is a really, really good movie uh, that you should check out. And uh, I know a lot of people really liked uh, Chirac, also, which uh, I wasn't quite as high on, but um, people were super psyched on that when it came out. Yeah, it's definitely not one of his best, but it certainly has the spirit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Pat, let's get you in here for an official take. Uh, you said your first time watching. Malcolm X, anything stand out to you? Um, I think that it is a movie about a man who, um, one of the remarkable things about him is that he's able to uh, sort of change himself and change his uh, beliefs and, well, you know, not like sort of completely change who he is, but reconsider what he believes and admit, not admit that he was wrong, but necessarily that there is a moment at the end of his life or at the end of his, of, of the movie where he recants some of what he said before, but just sort of like, um, always be looking for, I guess the truth or the, the right approach to things. And I think that it's a very admirable portrait of, um, the sort of evolution of somebody's thoughts 
um, and of a very important man's uh, system of thought. And uh, I liked it for that reason. I will say that I don't think it needs to be as long as it is. <laughs> I understand that. I, yeah, I it, it actually kind of has the feeling of like a director's cut <laughs> at yeah. some points. Yeah. Now, I wrote about in my opening take how the film has these pretty distinct three acts. And one of them is uh, his time as, uh, I, I believe he was called Detroit Red, and basically before he went to prison. And then you have the second act, which is his conversion to uh, Islam while in prison and uh, everything he does with the Nation of Islam, and then the third act is basically from his uh, trip to Mecca and kind of his uh, distan distancing himself from the nation and uh, all the way up to his assassination. I, I, the thing I, I, I hear you guys about it being, like, maybe too long, um, but I think the film works because it gives all those, like, elements of Malcolm X time to breathe and kind of live on their own and it's a film that like you could watch in three one hour like increments and, and eat, watch each one of those parts and, and just really appreciate it on its own I think um, I, I think there's probably bits and pieces in each one that you can uh, sort of segment out and, and potentially remove but it's hard, I feel like it'd be hard to do this movie and not have all three of these sides to him like really well represented so um, it's, it's tough. I, <laughs> I know. Did you find it? I mean, if we're going to, if you guys are going to adopt my thinking in, in this way, do you feel like there was one section that dragged more than, more than another? Probably the first section. Uh -huh. Because I under I mean, I, I realize what, what Lee is trying to do, especially being a, a full representation of his life. But I think in most, I think for most films about Malcolm X, this section is really important, but it's important as a way to kind of see him change by the end. And it seemed kind of, a lot of it, that first section just kind of seemed conven more conventional uh, than the rest of the film does. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, I think luckily the way he opens up the film uh, is sort of the, is you know, is one of the more radical ways to open up a film uh, yeah. as you can get. <laughs> and then it, and then it just kind of sits there for a while in this very like, okay, we're getting to know who Malcolm X was like, oh, this is strange. I didn't realize, you know, he was like this troubled kid. Um but it just, I don't know, I think it, it, it takes too long to get to the person that, yeah, the person that, that we know. And I think that you can still really feel that change. You don't need to, to spend that much screen time. Um, but I mean, there, that doesn't mean that what we see is particularly bad or particularly drags. I think it's just it's more than than we probably need and for the film to be just as just as effective by the end i mean you do get some some cool characters um in that section spike lee being one of them it's always yeah. good to see him <laughs> on screen because uh, he's just such a weird presence um delroy lindo um plays yeah. sort of a, a mobster boss that he works for and and he's i mean he always goes 
a great performance whenever he shows up. So, uh, you know, seeing as much of them as we did is a good thing. Um, but I just, I don't know if we needed as much as, as we, we stay there. Uh, especially since I think my favorite section of the film is the prison sequences, um, where you really start to see that tide turning. Uh, so getting there sooner, I think would have, uh, really kept me, kept me into the film more, uh, by the midpoint. I agree. I, I think the first act is, is the part that, to me, dra- dragged the most. And, uh, yeah, parts of it are interesting. I mean, I would hold up what's maybe the first in-fiction in scene, uh, which is the uh, the swing dance, the, the dance club uh, that opens the movie. Or it's the second scene, I guess. The first yeah, scene is at the, the, at the barbershop. barbershop. Yeah. Um, and that, that scene, it's fun, um, and it's mirrored in certain ways by a scene in the third act that takes place in the 60s when everybody is dancing in, like, 60s style at a sort of sock hop or something. Um, but, it, man, it, that scene just goes on for a long time, and it feels like a sort of indulgence, like Spike Lee uh, wants to make a Busby Berkeley scene or so, something like that with all these aerial shots and stuff. And it feels a little bit out of place because the movie opens with such a sense of, of urgency, like... It opens with the Rodney King beating, right? And, like, it's Spike Lee sort of confronting you and telling you, like, this this stuff is still relevant, right? And then it goes almost directly into this, like, I don't know, this very, very, very long dancing scene. <laughs> and, uh, moments like that, to me, just felt like they were, like... Spike Lee was like, I get to make a movie about the 40s, and uh, let's spend some time doing that. 40s gangsters and... Uh, 40s zoot suits and stuff like that, and it just felt kind of indulgent. I think some of the point is maybe all. Yeah, I I think some of the point is also, um, in fairness to Spike Lee, showing us showing us black people dancing to swing music. You know, it's like a club that's all black people in Harlem in the 1940s. Uh, showing us black people dancing to swing and then black people dancing to rock music in the early 60s, or maybe it's the late 50s. I think part of the point there is. Like these forms were originally black forms before white people yeah, took them, sure. right? And it's really those scenes really emphasize that. But I don't know parts like that in the first, like the uh, Mal- Malcolm as the sort of as uh, Delroy as an underling to Delroy Window's gangster character. That that part maybe dragged on a bit to me. Yeah, yeah, and then you have the the scenes where he has. Uh, a sexual relationship with a white woman. Again, I, I get why that's sort of important in in terms of the narrative of where we end up in the film. Uh, and it, you probably wouldn't want to totally cut that out of the movie, but it's kind of obvious what it's trying to say and, and probably doesn't yeah. need to stay there that long. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, I, I do think that, uh, you know, there's something to be said about, like, those scenes just kind of being fun um, and that it's such a heavy film, you know, the further it goes that yeah. it's nice those... that you have some moments of, you know, a little bit of levity and just, just kind of, uh, you know, entertaining. And um, those suits. Oh, they're so great. <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite moments in the film is when, uh, 
him and Shorty are addressed like to the nines in their suits, and they've got giant hats with feathers, and they're just like, uh, it's like they're uh, in West Side Story, like walking down the street, and everybody else is just kind of going about their business, but they're just like <laughs> having the time. It's, it's great. I love that moment. Um, so uh, another scene that we've talked, or well, we haven't really talked about, but it comes a little bit later on. And um, you're writing about it in detail, Pat, is um, his uh, pilgrimage to Mecca. Do you want to talk about why that one jumped out to you as, as especially important in the film and, and what you liked about it? Well, if I'm completely honest, this scene jumped out to me because it's the one part of the movie I'd seen before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't written this article yet, but I think it's um, this moment in the movie. It's sort of a watershed moment in Malcolm X's life because he's sort of... Um, walks back his militant stance a little bit, not too much. I mean, he's still um, not the not the pacifist that um, uh, or the or quite the integrationist that um, like Martin Luther King was. Um, but it is this watershed moment where he recognizes that it is possible, given the right circumstances, um, for people to coexist. And um, I think it also serves as an important plot point because it's where the story, the, the narration introduces the idea that he is being uh, surveilled by the government. Um, yeah. And the movie does this cool thing where throughout the film, especially in the last two acts, occasionally we are given uh, sort of the media's perspective of, of Malcolm X, like it'll be shot with grainy, like 16-millimeter footage or, or a film that's been treated to look like uh, old news footage or, or something like that. And so at first, I think, when he arrives in, in Egypt and we see this grainy 16-millimeter footage, we assume that it's something like that, this sort of like pseudo-documentary look that some of the film has, but then like through the scene we gradually realize that actually it's uh, the CIA, agent, CIA agents who are in uh, Egypt uh, spying on him. So I think it's a scene that's accomplishing uh, like sort of dramatic and thematic uh, and plot things all at once, and I think it's a, a well-made uh, tight little scene. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I agree. It's interesting. And um, Aaron, did you have a take on that scene or any others? I mean, we talked a lot about the first kind of mm -hmm. section, but any others kind of later in the film that you uh, thought were especially good? Well, I'll say it's just like uh, Pat, I, I really did like the, the touches of the black and white uh sort of moments that we have throughout the film, mostly in the film's second half. Uh, we see it a few times, too, when we see uh, Malcolm X giving a speech, uh, which I, I think those work really well because that is really how we, for the most part, at least today, we kind of remember Malcolm X as being this really great orator uh, who had these really decisive and speeches that, that had, you know, a very clear and demanding perspective. So matching the look of, of how we, we know Malcolm X now, when we, when we, you know, 
see him, uh, you know, the way the, the times when he was recorded, the ways that the only really ways that we can remember him um, in any sort of cultural sense to kind of to kind of match that in, in how the, the filmmaking is done, I think is really smart uh, and brings the film a little closer to to reality. Um, and as Patrick mentioned at the near the top of the show, even though he may not, you know, I don't know if he's always really known for this, but it's, you know, not a mistake that Spike Lee has become one of our best filmmakers of, of documentaries. Uh, and, and I don't know if he had really made many documentaries up to this point, but, um, you know, you can, you can really see, uh, see that he kind of had a, an, an interest in, uh, in, in documentaries. Did you guys catch some of the, uh, did you catch the cameo from the, the Sopranos Christopher, Christopher from the Sopranos as one of the uh, news yeah, reporters? Yeah, yeah, he's interviewing at him. He's interviewing Malcolm X. I think it was after his house burned down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was that was really yeah, surprising. Was, <laughs> I, I, I was going to bring this up at some point, but there's there's a lot of really interesting small performances, like just like people you might see, you know, uh, once in the film that you may not even recognize, but. And some of these people looking over the cast list, I didn't recognize while watching the film. But like Wendell Pierce is in yeah, a scene, right? Yeah, from The Wire. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is who I totally missed, but he uh, has a role in the film. Of course, he was bugging out. He's in, he's uh, one of the assassins. He's the right thing. Okay, there you go. Yeah, he. Uh, I recognized him. He uh, picks up the doll that Malcolm's daughter drops. Uh, and hands it to her, and I was like, "Oh man, that's Giancarlo Esposito," because I recognize that villain, villainous face from Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, who else? Yeah, Michael Imperioli. That's a good one. Um, I know uh, that there were well, a few had, There's a lot of um, uh, cameos. Uh, yeah, John John Sales. John Sales, the director, is one of the FBI agents. William Fickner is a cop. Peter Boyle is a cop. Yeah, Peter yeah. Boyle was a cop. Peter right. Boyle, that was one. Uh, Christopher, was that Christopher Plummer as the as the preacher? Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nicholas Totoro, who's I think most known for NYPD Blue, had a small scene. Um, Debbie Mazar from from that HBO show that I can't uh, Entourage. From Entourage yeah. was. Uh, was in there um the uh, end oh. of the film you had the the narrator was uh ossie davis and of course the cameo by nelson mandela oh yeah uh, in the, the final that's pretty big i guess karen allen uh was in it from oh, yeah Indiana she's in it for like 10 seconds Arc. yeah so it's uh i mean i guess when you have a a movie that's 200 minutes long and like a million people in it. <laughs> You're going to have some interesting, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. There's another one who, Oh yeah, this was weird. I was looking at IMDb and I totally don't understand this, but so Vincent D'Onofrio is, um, credited as Bill Newman archive footage. And he's sort of grouped with other archive footage 
but they're of, of the John F. Kennedy assassination, which I remember seeing, but it's all actors playing. Like there was an actor who's credited as John F. Kennedy archive footage and an actress who's credited as Jackie Kennedy archive footage. So I, I'm, I'm confused by that, but uh, apparently Vincent D'Onofrio is in there somewhere. Um, yeah. Crazy. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned it, but I'm seeing William Fitchner's name in here. Yep. yep. And he was, uh, uh, Richard Schiff also, who was yes. uh, Toby Ziegler from uh, West Wing. And uh, also a man named Bill Goldberg, but not the wrestler, from what I can tell. Oh. Was, it, was it Bill Goldberg? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I'm looking forward to WWE Entertainment remake of Malcolm X starring Bill Goldberg <laughs> and Booker T. <laughs> Uh, one actor who has a more prominent role in the film who we haven't mentioned, who definitely is worth mentioning, is Angela Bassett, okay. who plays uh, Dr. Betty Shabazz, who marries uh, Malcolm uh, a little more than halfway through the film. And every time she is like, I've seen her in a lot of things and I know she's had a, a good career as an actress, but I feel like every time I see her in something, I just like, I just, like, look up and, like, exclaim why she hasn't, like, become a star. Because she is, like, she's great and everything. Yep. Yeah, she really is really good. I, and, I just uh, watched uh, Strange Days for the first time recently. And it's, like, how how is she in that movie and not immediately become a superstar? Yeah, well, I think there's I an answer why. to that. Yeah. <laughs> I know why, but it's just like it's just mind-boggling. Yeah, she's amazing. She's in, in Strange Days especially, Angela Bassett is great, and it's great how that movie sort of smuggles her in. Like you don't you think that Ray Fiennes is the main character going in, but no, it's not. It's it's Angela Bassett. Um another I think important performance in the movie um is comes from uh, the actor Albert Hall plays Baines, uh, who uh, uh, Malcolm X meets in prison and is sort of like his, I guess you could say, mentor during his, um, you know, teaches him everything he needs to know about Islam and introduces him to uh, Elijah Muhammad and um, then ends up being one of the, his, you know, most vocal detractors within the Nation of Islam. And um, I thought this was a really good performance. Yeah, absolutely. I, like I like I had said, I think probably my favorite scene in the film is their scene in the showers uh, just after Malcolm X is released from solitary stint in solitary confinement. Um, it's just like a super powerful speech. I think the film, in a lot of ways, really hinges on that moment uh, to really kind of understand why Malcolm X changes. Um, yeah. And you mentioned, too, Al Freeman Jr., who plays Elijah Muhammad, is another just spectacular performance and really interesting casting. I mean, I don't really know anything about Elijah Muhammad, but you see Al Freeman, what he looks like. He's such, like, a small man, but yeah. he has, like, so much power. I know at one point Malcolm X says, I think, in voiceover that um, this man was, like, the first man he feared. And, mm. like, you can totally tell what he means even though looking at the man you would like you would never fear him in any sort of you know physical way um but he you know his performance it, it really comes through yeah yeah for sure that was a another good one um i'm gonna write a little bit about later this week in our related review selma um which 
is a biopic about probably the other biggest civil rights advocate of the era, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, I haven't seen that film in a little while. I'm a big fan of it. It was uh, one of my favorites from 2014 when it came out. Um, but I remember there being some Malcolm X stuff in the middle of that film. I don't think that there's an actor who plays Malcolm X in the movie. Do you, how do you guys remember? Yeah, I actually just pulled it up. There is, um, there is. an actor oh, named oh. Nigel Thatch, who um, I guess is currently on a television series called Fowler, uh, which I know nothing about. He, do- he doesn't have a lot of, uh, of acting credits, and Selma is like on his IMDb is the first and the known for. But um, yeah, I don't remember him particularly, but there you go. I can't remember how that worked out. I remember somebody, maybe it was him, was approaching uh, Coretta to uh, try to have a conversation, and Martin Luther King was resistant, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, but I, I, I thought it was a proxy and not Malcolm X himself. So I'll, I'm going to watch that probably tomorrow. So. Uh, yeah, we we sort of see that, that from the other side in this movie. Yeah, which right? I found interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I thought uh, the part of the movie where Malcolm comes back from uh, Mecca and is seems to be trying to reach out to, to civil rights leaders, I assume like Martin Luther King and the, um, the SCLC, um, that, that he had not uh, embraced before. Um, I, I, I think that's a, a sort of important scene... I guess historically to, to know about Malcolm X and um, where he was at the at the end of his life um, and the fact and the fact that um, Martin didn't necessarily uh, you know open the door to to a, a more mild Malcolm. Yeah, right. And then you also got um, uh, archival footage after his assassination. Uh, after Malcolm X's assassination, with Martin Luther King Jr. commenting about um, what happened, and um, you know, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, and his words are uh, sympathetic, but not they, they seem they sound very yeah. measured, very uh, c- carefully phrased. He says yeah, something I was about to say calculated. I yeah, mean, I think that. Uh, he was probably treading a really thin line of. Uh, you know, obviously expressing condolence to the family and a lot of his followers without, um, you know, kind of glorifying some of the things that he, I guess, stood for earlier in his life. But um, I thought that was, that was definitely interesting. Um, one of the other films I'm going to try to mention, I don't know how this is going to come together, Aaron, just adds up, uh, but... <laughs> I really want to talk about uh, the Nation of Islam in uh, the movie Ali, uh, the Michael Mann biopic of Muhammad Ali, yep. and um, I, I really like that movie a lot. And, and um, I know that that's that it's like really prominent in that film. Um, yep. Mario Van Peebles as yeah. Malcolm X in, in that one. Indeed, and that's um, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in uh, in that film about. Uh, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali and the Nation of Islam, and uh, I haven't seen that one in a while either, so I'm excited to kind of uh, dig into that. And, and I wondered if there were other films 
that uh, in which Malcolm X was a uh, made any sort of appearance. Um, I can't find any, at least any major ones that I'm familiar with by name. Um, certainly, there's quite a few documentaries and, and things of that nature. Um, but uh, but yeah, any. Um, any other major points that we haven't really talked about? Anything? Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about the the sort of bookends to the movie. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. We've mentioned them a, a few times, but I think they really work in interesting ways. Uh, as we have said a few times, it, it opens with uh, the the video footage of Rodney King uh, being beaten by the Los Angeles poli- Police Department. Um, as well as a very large American flag that burns into the letter X. It's uh, it's a, especially considering what uh, the, the political <laughs> discourse over the past year, uh, seeing that American flag burn at you know before you realize what it's actually doing, uh, is yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty radical image, uh, and it also I think references maybe not consciously but the opening to Patton uh yeah right. where um, oh i i bet that know, was conscious you think so yeah i mean yeah, I think I, I, you know you get the you certainly get the same the same visual but you know nobody actually speaking in front of it though we're we're hearing a speech from Malcolm X i'm not sure if i couldn't i can't remember or i didn't pick up if it was uh, Denzel Washington speaking as Malcolm X, or if it was actual footage from a Malcolm X speech, um, maybe one of you guys remember or picked up on that. I thought it was Denzel, but uh, I didn't look into it, and I can't say it for certain. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty th- sure it's Denzel. I think so too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. I wasn't totally sure though. Uh, and then the film ends with um, a fairly extended, almost like a short documentary. Uh, I think it's a little bit more than five minutes long. Um, but it actually even feels kind of longer than that. Uh, that, that shows a lot of footage from Malcolm X's life, um, a, lot, a lot of clips from him, as well as other important um, moments of civil rights movement, of other figures who pro- played prominently in at this time or um, for the same causes that Malcolm you know, had in his life. I think you see Malcolm X, uh, sorry, you see Muhammad Ali. Uh, you, I think you see footage of um, Martin Luther King uh, and some others. And then sort of morphs into this sort of bizarre uh, little vignette of seeing children in a Harlem, what I imagine is Harlem uh, schoolroom who are being taught about Malcolm X and what he stood for. And then, you know, they, they have this very Spike Lee sort of stylistic touch of the kids standing up, looking at the camera saying, I am Malcolm X. And then it, it sort of seamlessly transitions to an African, uh, South African schoolroom. And you see that the kids are being taught by Nelson Mandela, who uh, says a few words about what Malcolm X means to, you know, to their causes. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting way to, to close out the film too. Uh, again, Spike Lee working in sort of a documentary fashion, bringing, you know, some of the more, 
mainstream narrative touches of the film uh, a little bit off center and, you know, sort of stamping home the message about Malcolm X. I think um, throughout the documentary portion there, you, you hear Ossie Davis and one of the lines that really struck me was him saying, uh, and I didn't write it down, so I don't have it exactly, but something like if, you know, if you actually knew the man, you would know what kind of man he was sort of in, in reference to, you know, people just thinking of him as, you know, this violent rabble rouser um, and kind of totally not at all understanding you know, his perspective and, and what he was trying to do for his people. Um, I think that's probably at the end of the day, Spike Lee's biggest aim in making this film. Uh, and I think with that sort of punctuation and it, it crystallizes that and, and really, I think really drives that point home. And, and I think, uh, I think that that really works for the film. Yeah, actually, I think that's my favorite scene in the movie is that, is that final montage. Uh, even though I'm writing about a different scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really good. I, I, we also didn't talk at all about the assassination scene, which I think is, I mean, it's it's long if you want to in, uh, include kind of all the lead up to it, which yeah. it feels very prescient. Uh, but um, I think it's all really well done. Okay, cool. Well, I think that's all the big stuff about Malcolm X. Any final thoughts, Pat Brown? Yeah, I think I uh, gave the impression maybe that I didn't like this movie, but I I, <laughs> I rather I rather liked this movie. Um, cool. I think uh, Do the Right Thing is maybe a, a better movie. Um, I think so too. Yeah. But I but I uh, but I think also maybe uh, biopics aren't always my favorite thing. But uh, as as a sort of as a biopic, I think this is good for the ways that it breaks the mold and challenges the viewer with um, sort of some formal experimentation and also by putting it in conversation with today's society uh, right from the outset and then again at the end so that we're not allowed to just leave, you know, both Malcolm and this movie and Malcolm's story in the past and consider it all done and over with. Um, so that both sort of his, it shows that both his ideas live on and that his ideas are still relevant, right? And uh, does so in a very forceful way. And I think uh, it's pretty admirable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Aaron, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'll repeat that Denzel Washington is really good in this. Um, and I think there is that sort of interesting disconnect that while many people maybe not really think of this film uh, anymore. It's maybe not quite as important in the cinematic cultural consciousness as maybe it should be. Uh, I think you're right, John, when, when you had said that uh, I think most people still remember this performance as one of Denzel Washington's best. I mean, one of, one of the great actors of all time, especially uh, of his generation, um, you know, that this is, this is one of the most, you know, known and respected performances of his career. Uh, again, it's just totally mind boggling that he didn't win the Oscar in a year that Al Pacino did for Son of a Woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think people would 
would redo that one. Um, it also kind of then makes it, you know, when the, the sort of how the academy works and the, the dominoes kind of falling also made it important that he won best actor finally for training day, which, uh, you know, some people might not totally agree with that call either, but it was sort of known as his time finally to win best actor. He had won best supporting actor for glory uh, a few years before Malcolm X, but um, it's just, you know, the, the history of uh, the Academy Awards, I guess. Um, oh, fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then doubling down on them when they when they finally have to. Indeed. Anyway, uh, John, what are your final words? And then I want to pivot to something different. Uh, I would just echo what both of you guys said. I think it's an imperfect film, but um, I think a really interesting one, a very relevant one. And, um, you know, I know it's long. I hope that doesn't intimidate you if you, well, I mean, hopefully you've watched it if you've gotten this far. (laughs) Um, But uh, for those of you, if you're out there that are considering giving this a watch, definitely do so. It's it's worth checking out. And I think it's something you can do in a few sittings. So you don't have to, um, you know, block off three and a half hours. And uh, and for sure, Washington, I think, is his best performance, at least of the ones I've seen. Uh, There's plenty out there that I haven't. But, um uh, he's uh, he's sensational. A lot of other really good actors, like we mentioned, and um, some just top-notch filmmaking. So, uh, Aaron, take it away. Yeah, so we're getting toward the end of the year. Um, as we have, we're talking a little bit, John, before we started recording. This is, uh, for, for people like us, uh, this is a very important time of the year because it's screener season. Uh, and so, you know, this is part of the the time of part of the year where we start already kind of thinking about the superlatives of the year, thinking about the best, um, the best films and and all that. So we can prepare for when it actually is the end of the year and we're putting together all of these, these crazy lists. So I think maybe over the the next couple of months, and, and maybe this is something we can kind of make maybe more of a regular feature at the end of podcast, but just wondering if there's any uh, good movies you've seen recently. Uh, right. I guess they don't, they don't have to be from, from this year in particular, if, especially if you don't have anything, but uh, just wondering if maybe there was a film or two you've seen over the last couple of weeks that, you know, you're going to be thinking about or, or, you know, were particularly good in your mind. Uh, Pat, do you have any? Well, I saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and that was oh. that was good. Um, but actually, what I want to talk about that I've seen recently is uh, just last week I watched uh, Ang Lee's uh, Sense and Sensibility, either for the first time or for the first time since I was, like, eight. Uh, <laughs> and it is, it is wonderful. Uh, it's got a fabulous script that was actually written by Emma Thompson that she spent, I guess, several years writing. Uh, the performances are all uh, incredible, and Hugh Grant is in the movie just little enough that he doesn't get annoying. Uh, and, uh, I mean, um, like, the themes of the book really come through. It feels like a really faithful adaptation, even though some things are changed. Uh, you really, like, this story about somebody whose sort of, like, uh, principles don't uh, allow her uh, to uh, express or confront her emotions, and all of all of them are just like bottled up. Like I, 
just feels so, for me personally, very, I can identify with that very easily, but, but also, um, uh, it's so, you, so profoundly, um, moving, I think, this movie, and how Emma Thompson portrays, uh, Eleanor. Maybe uh, a film to consider, uh, some time to cover for The Sin Essential at some point. That yeah, that I would like be that a movie a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, what have I watched lately? Uh, I finally saw Get Out, and, uh, yeah. we emailed a little bit about that, but, uh, it's one of my favorites of 2017, for sure, so far, and, uh, I'll freely admit that I haven't seen that much this year, um, but that one stands out, and I'm sure it will towards the end of the year. Uh, it's just such a original movie, um, and, uh, it, you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable, but in a way that's <laughs> also, like, super entertaining, and, uh-huh. um, I was just, it floored me. I had so much fun watching it, and I, I, I really am excited to watch it again. So Yeah, um, well, we're gonna get into that movie a little bit later. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's a spoiler for for all of you. We're we're not we're we're gonna t- we're gonna touch on that movie again sometime. Yeah, in the, we'll talk in about the it. Future, so, um, yeah, <laughs> so I'll have a chance. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's on. Uh, it just got added to HBO now. If um, if anybody hasn't seen it and they're interested and they are subscribers, they can get that there. I I think I might be wrong, but I think it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Well, I wait. Let me double check that. <laughs> yeah, for nothing. Um. Okay, it's no, it it is. You can see it on Amazon Prime if you have the HBO channel, but oh, okay. Um, but I'm I, okay, so I'm wrong about that. But it is on HBO, so it yeah. Yeah. check it out for so if you have HBO, you can see it. I mean, uh, I a lot of you, you should have already seen it by now. What's I'm wrong sorry. with you, John? <laughs> I missed it in theaters, and uh, I just been putting it off, I guess. But here we are, and I watched okay. it, and it was great. Cool, cool. Anything for you? Well. Uh, as I sort of alluded to earlier, I most of what I've seen recently was in a 24-hour horror film right. marathon, um, <laughs> and there there were some interesting things in there. Uh, nothing recent or you know particularly noteworthy. Uh, I guess the the main film that I really sort of quote unquote discovered there was a, a film from 1971 called Let's Scare Jessica to Death, uh, which is a film I'd never heard of or seen or anything um but is a really interesting sort of like art horror film from the early 70s it it definitely has that sort of dreamy atmospheric vibe of a lot of films from that time uh and it's not scary but it is very strange um and good uh i just today i finally saw wonderstruck uh, oh, Todd yeah. Haynes's film, uh, which is good overall. Uh, I know I've seen some people who've like praised it to the stars, as some people do with Todd Haynes' films. Um, it, it, it wasn't quite on that level for me, but I will say the third act of the film is one of the the better things uh, in in films this year. Um, the way it the way it ends and some of the interesting stylistic things that uh, Haynes does in toward the end of the film is, is really fascinating and great. Um, let's see what else. 
I saw Murder on the Orient Express, which I don't oh, look know at you. to talk about because <laughs> it's not very good. Another film that it, it's not going to like make my end of year list or anything, but uh, also sort of has some relevance to discussing Malcolm X. I saw Marshall a few weeks ago, okay. uh, which is definitely different than I thought it would be uh, and probably better than I thought it would be. Uh, it's it's much more of a um, like an investigation uh, than than a biopic. Uh, it, it doesn't make the same uh, strides of, of telling you know that Mal- Malcolm X does as a biopic about telling the whole life story of someone. It's it's one of those sort of new breed of biopics that that we're seeing now, which are usually more interesting, where it just kind of takes one moment from a historical figure's life and, you know, tells us about that person through that one event, which, which this is very much, much a part of. Um, Oh, I'll say one more. Uh, I saw the documentary Jane, uh, yeah, the Jane Goodall, um, documentary. It's, it's great. It's probably one of my favorite documentaries of the year. Uh, it uses a lot of, uh, found footage that was uh, I can't remember exactly how they came to it but basically National Geographic found all of this footage from uh, from when Jane first went to Africa and it was or it was unsealed or something they found it they thought it was lost so it, it's a lot it's a lot of that which is some really kind of fascinating stuff and uh, a person that I didn't really know much about. I mean, I knew who she, who she was and like why she was important or whatever, but I never really sort of understood exactly what she was doing and how actually fascinating it is watching, um, you know, how she went through the very arduous process of basically gaining the trust of the chimpanzees in the jungle and, and how she, you know, very painstakingly, got closer and closer to them and, and sort of, you know, how all that came to be was, uh, was very interesting. Um, so if you have a chance to see Jane, I, I, uh, I would recommend that one. Cool. Uh, sounds good. Uh, I like the segment and we should do more of it. And it sounds like we will. Um, but for now, uh, it's going to wrap things up. You can check us out on Twitter at the Sin essential and like us on Facebook at Sin Essential. You can also uh, check out everything we've written about Malcolm X and roughly, uh, what do you say, 60 other movies on the site. Uh, <laughs> the over, that, over the whole course? Um, yeah. I'll take more than that now. Yeah, yeah 75 maybe. I'm, uh, because when we get to the 100th, we'll have to do something special, I think. I'll be fine. I'm, I'm trying to look up uh, three-hour biopics so that I know <laughs> when the next time yeah. I'll be invited to join is. I have a long, I have a long, long, long list of uh, Does Ivan the Terrible count? Uh, that's two films. That's two films. Uh, that'll be fine. Uh, so, uh, what else? <laughs> Uh, all the stuff that you usually do to help us out, we appreciate and would ask you to do again and tell your friends too. Uh, so thank you, Pat, for joining us. Aaron, thank you as always. And uh, we will talk to you guys again soon.